This is week number five in our series looking at probably one of the most important things we could ever look at, and that is your history, your real history, maybe not the history you have presumed or the history you've been taught or raised with in your tradition, but it is your biblical history. And really, you know, we've been ripped off, folks, absolutely robbed. The devil comes to kill, rob, and destroy. And, and so he, he truly has. The story of the people of Israel is astonishing, shocking, amazing. No one was able to defeat them. And still to this day, God has overseen their, their movements around the earth, their survival through ways that are unimaginable. You couldn't dream them up. And again, even at this moment in time, you can see God's protection over Israel. Just look up a moment. Because of that fact, because no nation, no league of nations could destroy Israel, many emperors, rulers, they came to this conclusion, we're going to have to kill them all. We're going to have to have a holocaust. The only way to cope with these people, because God is with them, the only way we're going to deal with this is by wiping out every man, woman, and child and completely eradicating them from the earth. And that's not just Hitler. That goes back a very long way. Because wherever they were found, they rose to the top. Remember what we saw last week. Whether it was in finances or media, the, the, the Jews rise to the top. Could I have my first slide there, guys? You will all know, I hope so anyway, these two guys. Who's this? Very good. Ed Miliband and David Miliband, they are two of the three, four men who lead this country. Okay, the leaders of the Labour Party. And maybe Ed Miliband or maybe his brother will be the next Prime Minister. We'll see what happens in a few years' time. Jews. Okay? Their mother was a Jew. She fled Germany in, I think it was 1938, and came to Britain. My point is... <laughs> Whether you look in the White House or whether you look in, you know, Westminster, the Jews write, this is one generation. One generation. And they're already at the top of UK politics and policy making. Okay? And quite strongly so, because opposition powers here are quite considerable. So you can understand, and you would need to have, you need to be crazy not to see that the Jews are an incredible, incredible race. Now, the first time that Jesus Christ came to earth, what was going to be the sign of his coming? What were we told it would be? Not good. <laughs> Not good. There would be a star in the sky. And I'm not surprised we get no answers. Because how we disrespect that. I would accept an email. If you inform me by email, if you write to me, if you do this. But there's something within us, you know, that just kind of rejects a star. There's going to be a star in the sky. Now, I know astro uh, astrology is wicked. We're not talking about that. But God said there would be a star in the sky. And when Jesus Christ came the first time, how many people followed the star? So few! So few! So few. And I wonder in his second coming, at the second coming of Christ, I wonder is anything going to be different? And anyway, regarding the second coming of Christ, what did he say would be the sign? 
in the sky. Okay, <laughs> um, wrong, but okay. Turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, before we go any further. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. I want you to see what God says about signs in the sky. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, not men, God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times or to mark the seasons or the feast days. Okay? And let them be lights in the vault, etc., etc. So God himself, right at the beginning of your Bible, says, I will put signs in the sky. And that word may be seasons in your Bible. Seasons is okay, but it's not talking in Hebrew. The word doesn't mean winter, summer, rain, and fall, you know. It means feast days. It means significant moments in time. Now, with regard to the second coming of Christ, I want to just read to you. You don't have to turn to them because there's quite a few. Jesus said this. The moon will turn blood red before I return. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament, a blood red moon. Okay? He said that the sun will turn to sackcloth before I return. Okay? In the book of Revelation, it says this. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red. Let me read to you from the book of Isaiah, talking about the end times. The stars of the heaven and their constellation will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And he goes on to say on that great and fearful day when the Lord returns, Joel prophesies the same thing. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to, uh, to blood red before the coming of before the great and dreadful day of the coming of the Lord. And we can go on and on. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, remember, Jesus, uh, Jesus said the very same thing. Matthew 24. Um, Jesus talking about a description of how end times events will unfold. This is what he said. Immediately after the distress of those days, listen, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now my fear is, just like the, in the days before the first coming of Christ, people disrespected the signs in the heavens. I fear that exactly the same thing is happening today, is that we don't look for that. We don't pay attention to it, you know, and it's a mistake. About seven or eight weeks ago, I heard that there was going to be four blood moons, four red moons coming up in 2014 and in 2015. Now, I thought that's interesting because Jesus said that a blood red moon would be the sign of his return. So I did a little bit of investigation. The first question I thought of when I heard that is probably the same question in your mind. How often does that happen? Because I want to know if it's significant. Four blood moons, eh? Two years in a row, is it? Yes. Coming up? Yes. 2014 and 2015. So my first question is, how often does that happen? And the answer is, in the, in the 1800s, there were none. In the 1700s, there were none. In the 1600s, there were none. 
And in the 1900s, it happened twice, just this last century. And you know when it happened? When there were four blood moons on the feast days, these signs in the sky will be to mark the significant feasts. Genesis chapter 1. Do you know when it happened in the 1900s? The first time it happened was in 1949. What happened in 1948? The foundation of Israel. These things will happen in the sky as a marker to you, as a warning to you. Twice it happened last century. 1948, uh, sorry, 1949 and 1950. And the second time was in 1967 and 1968. What happened then? Six-day war. They got Jerusalem back. So you see, and both those, now that to me is highly significant. Amen. Amen. Okay, Scripture tells me of it. Jesus tells me of it. And then today, uh, astronomers are telling us, next slide please. Astronomers are telling us a Jewish year is different from our year. So if you go through these, this sequence here, oops, if you go through this sequence here, you can actually see what's going to happen. Look, folks, 2014 on Passover, these signs are given you to mark the feast days of significance. In 2014, there's a blood moon on Passover. Okay? In 2015, and Tabernacles. In 2015, the same. And look at the eclipse right there in the middle on the 1st of Nisan in March 20th. Now, all I'm saying is, Jesus said, before I return, the moon will be turned blood red and the sun will appear like sackcloth. Now, what this says to me, I don't know what it means, by the way. I'm not saying Jesus Christ is coming back here. What I'm saying is, one thing I would categorically say, and it's this, something of great significance is going to happen in Israel. Just like the first four moons last century, right? When the war was over and they got their land back, there were blood moons. Just like the blood moons when the Six-Day War was over and they got their reprieve, there were blood moons. And this fact tells me that we are approaching, whether you like it or not, we're approaching a major significant trauma because a moon is a sign of trouble coming upon Israel. The eclipse of the sun is a sign of trouble for Gentiles in Scripture. Okay, When the sun is darkened, that's trouble for Gentiles. When the moon is darkened, it's trouble for Jews. Okay, So, we just need to pay attention to these things because remember, we are spiritual Israel, right? That's who we are. This is our ancestry. And these signs are put in the sky as reminders to us, as warnings to us to be safe, safeguarded against the evils coming on the earth. And also, the feast days are marked out so that we worship correctly, which is what my display here is about. A typical... Christmas home. I'll come to that in a moment. I want to remind you of a very important point that we made in the first week, I think it was. It's critical, folks. Remember Exodus chapter 12, verse 49, when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and some of the Egyptians wanted to go, remember? And Moses got confused. He said, they're not Jews. So he goes to God and he says, God, these people want to follow us. This can't be right. And God spoke to Moses and said, the same law applies to you and them, the same rule. You see, folks, this is us. This is you. 
This is who God's talking about. The same rules that I hold Israel accountable for. Remember last week, not the Levitical law, not the priestly laws. We're not talking about that. We're talking about God's general moral law. These rules for worship and everything else. These rules for worship apply to you. Can you agree with me? Okay, it's a very important point because we're coming up to Christmas. Okay, which is a perverted time of worship, which I'll explain in a moment. Let me get the way you worship God, very important to God. Worship is not about you, is it? Who's it about? It's about Him. And the way you worship has to line up with what He wants. Not with what you want, not with your traditions, not with anything the world throws at us. Right. We've got to like the same rule applies to me. I have been grafted in by the same God. Hallelujah. So I need to be careful. Many people in scripture have made this mistake. On your sheet, there's a little gray box. Take a look at that gray box before we look at today's real message. Key points. The same rules apply to everybody in this room. Okay? Regarding the feast days, this, regarding the moral law of God, we are obliged, we are obligated to come through the same route. There's been many people made that mistake. Remember Cain. Remember? Curse came upon Cain. Why? Worship. Cain, Abel brought a blood sacrifice that was acceptable to God. But you know what Cain said? The rules don't apply to me. I'll worship God whatever way I want. And a curse fell on Cain. He was marked and put out for the rest of his life because he thought that he was exempt from the principles of the kingdom. Folks, do you know what? The longer you've been in church, the more a danger you are of this. Trust me. And it, it hurts us as pastors as we see people... How can I put it? They count themselves above the law. I'll tell you a good example of this, communion. I taught communion in this church three times. And at the end, over about a two-year period, at the end of teaching that and revealing that to you, about 70% of you were practicing communion properly, biblically, and according to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, at home. But about 30% of you said, doesn't apply to me. About 30% of you were like Cain, and about 70%, thank God, were like Abel. And when I visited your homes, I was so pleased in many homes to see the communion, you know, established within your family home, to see changes. You see, folks, coming to church should change me. I should be getting revelation. And that revelation should be something I go out of here and put into practice. Amen. But after the years go by, what happens is we get slow. We get dull. And we start to think this message is for everybody else. We start to think ourselves above the law and change stops taking place. And we backslide. We become dull. Spiritually dull of hearing. Because we no longer do the things that are revealed. Big problem. Big problem for the church. You need to put into practice and honor God in our worship. Not just our worship, but in every part of our lives. 
The same rules apply to us. Right? As everybody else, we're all in the same kingdom here, I trust. But this mistake has been repeatedly made in terms of worshipping God that we feel that we can do it whatever way we want and God simply doesn't accept it. Listen to this from Leviticus. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and foreigners residing among you must not do any of the detestable practices that have come in from paganism in Leviticus, not just Leviticus. In Mark chapter 7, many places, God talks about how he receives, listen to this, Mark chapter 7, they worship me in vain. They worship me in vain because their, teach, their teachings are human rules or pagan rules, if you like. Now, I'm going somewhere, folks, so stay with me. Everybody look up. All eyes forward. Look at this. See these feasts? Do you know who they belong to? Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. Who do the feasts belong to? To you, my friend. These are your feasts. We are spiritual Israel, and the, the laws in Scripture, the rules apply to us. Okay? You are not an exception. Now, there's many feasts in Israel. Some of them are over. In fact, the, the, the top half of your sheet there, the spring feasts have all been fulfilled. Passover was fulfilled when? When Jesus died on the cross. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was when he was in the tomb. The Feast of First Fruits is when he rose again. The Feast of Pentecost, when the Spirit was sent. And that's uh, the first half, if you like. But the last three are feasts which are remaining. So if we are like the three wise men or wise men, we will pay attention to these. The Feast of Trumpets, what's that? The dead will rise. Book of Revelation. The trumpet will sound. And out from the graves, all over this world and the sea, for those who drowned in the sea, will come the bodies of the dead. Listen, folks. Years ago, I wasn't long saved. And I was out. I took a shortcut through a graveyard in Cardiff, in Whitchurch in Cardiff. I was going somewhere. And I just saw the gate open this side. I'll just pop through the graveyard, right? And I'm just newly born again. But I heard that day. I heard the voice of God in that graveyard. It scared the living daylights out of me. Because I was in a graveyard. <laughs> but I heard these words. Come out! Yo. You know, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I got out of there, all right. I thought, what was that all about? But I knew it was God, not the devil, not me. That was God then. But I kept it to myself. And on that Sunday, I was in the church, and our pastor, Byron, was teaching from the book of Revelation. And he read that line where it says, in, at the last moment, with the trumpet sounds, the Lord will speak, come out! Well, when he said that, I tell you, my hair stood up. Because I thought that now I know why God spoke to me. He's telling. Do you know what I reckon in that graveyard? Believers. Some believers in there. Some of those tombs hold the bodies that will one day be resurrected. And the itching of God to get this over with. The passion in God. You know, to get this thing done. Amazing. Come out. One day the Feast of Trumpets will be for real. Yom Kippur. We celebrate the Day of Atonement. We can go through these in detail in further weeks, and Sukkot, or Tabernacles, is the nicest of all the feasts. Now, listen folks, this is what I want to say to you this morning. You have been ripped off. You've been robbed. And the establishment of God in our homes and in our traditions has been bastardized, polluted, okay, down through the generations. And I want to show you why and how that has happened, so that we can change things. Amen. 
so that we can come to church, get a revelation, and go out of this place and change, change. No change, no growth. No change, you're going to stay just the same. Amen. Amen. Do you know where this all begins? When you come to the feast days, and we'll look a moment at Easter and Christmas, when you come to the feast days, in order to understand what's happening here, we need to go back before the earth was made. And remember what happened. Just imagine this in your mind. You've got God Almighty. And before him, he has three angels, right? There's Gabriel. He's a messenger angel. He carries out God's will. There's Michael. No relation to me. Michael, right? What does he do? Warrior angel. And then there's Lucifer. What does he do? Worship. Now, you imagine this. You've got God in heaven. And you've got the three angels before him listening. Listening to the counsel of God. And you can imagine that Lucifer is there. He was the one that became proud, right? And he's listening to God's plan. And Lucifer hears, oh, you're going to set up feast days, are you? Oh, you're going to establish and keep your children safe, are you? And pride starts to grow in Lucifer. And God sees the proud and pride and casts him on the earth. So Lucifer arrives on earth, if you like, with an understanding of the feasts. The feasts that are going to honor God. The feasts that are going to keep God's people safe. And he thinks, well, I tell you what. I think I'll come up with a few of my own. I think I'll invent my own feasts. And through them, I will start to corrupt the church. I will corrupt them through the generations. And that is exactly what happened. Satan had a plan to turn God's holy days into holidays to take God's holy days that were supposed to be set apart these rules apply to everybody that were supposed to be set apart for us to mark the times and seasons he took those and he corrupted them okay not very very bad I want to look at two things only and that's Easter and Christmas God in the Bible has many names doesn't he Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Rapha Jehovah Makedish many names but it's the same God Right. So does the devil. The devil goes by many names in Scripture, but it's the same old devil. Old Nick. St. Nicholas. Same old devil. It's the same old thing. He goes by many names, many symbols, many signs, many incarnations. And we need to get smart to what those incarnations are because their Scripture is squealing out at us. So let me take you back. Because this is critical, that you understand this. We covered it before, about four years ago. Some of you will remember that. This whole thing of God's feasts being stolen and Satan really establishing his feasts, it begins in the book of Genesis with Noah's grandson. Okay, his name was Nimrod. And Nimrod built two major cities, Babel and Nineveh. And Nimrod married a woman called Samarius. Now, as soon as he married her, he died. And they deified him. They turned him into the sun god. And they dedicated a day after him, which is sun day. Okay? And that day has been established all the way back to the book of Genesis. Okay? So Samarius is on the earth on her own. He's died. And now the whole nation is worshipping the sun god, 
Baal by another name, or Nimrod, and many other names he goes by. Ra, all sorts of names. Listen to this. The myth goes like this. Samarius forms, lies, and she takes the shape of the sun, which is where you see the sun discs on top of the Christmas tree. She takes the shape of the sun, and she's miraculously impregnated. Virgin birth. The devil knew. He will be born of a virgin? Right. I will have my own virgin. I will have my own son. And the whole thing starts with Nimrod, or Baal. And she's supposed to become miraculously impregnated. Yeah, right. And she gives birth to a son called Tamus. Okay? And now you've got mother and son. And then the thing gets very twisted and perverted because she marries him. Which is where Cupid comes from, by the way. Where that whole St. Valentine's Day tradition comes from. Now, I want to just explain to you folks, there's some great wickedness going on here, you see, that goes back for generations and generations. Okay? It's a night of fornication from days of old where they would take mistletoe. Do you know where the mistletoe comes from? The Roman orgies. They thought mistletoe could make them more prolific. So they would hang it in their feast. That's why you kiss under the mistletoe. Because of pagan orgies to false gods. That's the origin. God is concerned about the way we worship him. Do you agree? I think he's very concerned. And things like this have very often very bloody and wicked origins. Do you know how Baal was worshipped? Child sacrifice. They used to take babies and they would drain their blood. Fill up bowls before Baal with their blood and then the babies would be thrown into the fire. And in case you wondered, folks, where the Easter egg comes from, shall I get a bin? Maybe that would be helpful because I'm sure you don't want me to keep these things in sight after I tell you what a red Easter egg means. Samarius, she miraculously becomes impregnated. And the, the story goes like this. She said her son was killed by a boar, a wild boar. And so they took a boar and they used to roast it and everything else, where the Yule log comes from. That's where that originates. But in order, and then she said her son was miraculously resurrected from the dead. Well, we know a son who was resurrected, don't we? Jesus Christ. So now we have the father, the son God Baal. We have the mother on earth in Samarius. We have the son, Jesus Christ. And now he's been resurrected. So this is what people were worshipping. And I'll tell you how they were worshipping in a moment. And she said, because her son was resurrected every year, excuse me, Eileen, could you, sorry. She said every year, people were to take an evergreen tree and they were to set that tree up in their homes, in their communities, as a sign of what God had done to her son, Baal. And they were to sing, there were songs, there were hymns, a whole ritual, okay? And that is actually the origin. There's two origins of, of trees. But the eggs, they used to take eggs. And she said because her son was resurrected, okay, you, they should take eggs and dye them, steep them in the blood of the children until they turned red. And then take them away and decorate them in celebration of his resurrection. That's why the eggs at Ishtar, Ishtar means God of the East. Baal was the God of the West, the sun god, Sunday. And Easter was the God of the East. They're both false gods. And this was the first sign that we still, that still exists today. Wicked, isn't it? And we think it doesn't matter. That's what Cain thought. Cain thought, 
I'm exempt. These rules don't apply to me. Shall I? Everybody agree? I think so. God help us. God forgive us. And our cities all over this world, whether you realize it or not, are absolutely full of signs and symbols. Could you put the big steeple up or the Vatican? The Vatican. Just go forward five or six slides, actually. You will see an obelisk in many cities. Thank you. That's great. See this great obelisk? Do you know you'll see these all over the world, right? Do you know what this is? Uh, Sorry if there's any children present. But it represents the penis of Baal. Okay? And do you know when you put balls on your Christmas tree? Can, can you figure that one out? Okay, you don't believe me? Okay, I'll show you it in the scripture. Turn here with me and I'll show it to you. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2. I want everybody to see this for yourself. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. This is talking about pagan forms of worship, the trees that were being set up at Christmas time, what we call Christmas time, because the sun is born on December 25th. It's the winter solstice. That's where the date comes from. It's a pagan worship day. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. This is what the Lord says Do not learn the ways of the nations. Amen. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens. See how these things are linked, right? Though the the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of these people are worthless. They cut down a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and with gold and they fasten it with hammer and nails so that it will not totter. And on and on it goes. Basically, Samarius set up the worship system for her resurrected son. And she set it up that every year when it came to the, to, to, to the winter solstice, a tree would be set up because it's evergreen. An evergreen tree to represent that her bale was eternal, that her son now was eternal, that Samarius was godlike because they th- consider themselves three gods. Now, when you see in the book of Jeremiah there, when you see it saying, do not decorate it with silver and gold. Do you, know what the, do you know what the customs, pagan customs are with silver and gold? You give them to idols. Idols that are worshipped always are presented with silver and gold. Now the obelisk, could you put the Vatican up? If you, these symbols are actually all over the world. You see, this, folks, this architecture, it's not just in Rome, and I'm not taking a shot at the Catholic Church. It's not what I'm saying. But you see, this is Baal's shaft. The word obelisk means Baal's shaft. Sorry, that's what it means, literally. It's referring to Baal's penis. And the circle that you see there, this is the sun, you see. And this represents Samarius's vagina being supernaturally impregnated by Baal. And in ancient days, they would put balls, golden balls, silver and gold, and decorate it around the base of the tree. Now, the trees turned into obelisks, right, in many countries. And you can see it globally. I don't have time to go through it all. But you see it right around the world, how devil worship or Baal worship, you know, formed in this way. Shocking, I know. But the origin of these things, we can say, do you know what you say? Do you know what people will say? You'll say what I say. You'll say, that's not what it means to me. I have a cute little Christmas tree. 
I love it. We set it up every year. That's not what it means to me. But do you know what God said to Cain? It's not what it means to you that matters, Cain. It's what it means to me. Worship is about me. And I detest these things. I hate them. Have you got any idea the blood that was spilt at the foot of these things? The millions of child sacrifice? Do you think God wants you to worship? You see? And we need to get with it and realize the origins, the pagan origins of these things. Okay. What shall I do with them? Okay. Getting closer. Amen. Let's get rid of them. Because, you see, God's not a killjoy. He's the opposite. It's the devil who's a killjoy. Amen? Believe me. You'll see that in a moment. It's the devil who's out to destroy. Not God. God has a good, good, good plan. Let me get rid of these. Okay. So how on earth did we end up celebrating Christmas? The 25th of December is not when Jesus Christ was born. He was born in September in Tabernacles. Right. He wasn't born in December. The 25th of December is the winter solstice, when the sun is reborn. And there was a Roman Empire called Constantine. And when he was in power in Rome, he wanted to amalgamate. He had wars on his hands and trying to keep the peace. And he came up with this great plan. Guess what? We're going to bring the Christians and their feasts. And we're going to bring the pagans and their feasts. And we're going to combine all of this stuff. And we're all going to worship. On the same day, in the same way. The very thing that God said, I do not want that. A long time ago, there was a man called Joshua who was going into the promised land. And when he went into the promised land, he found altars, he found gold. What did God say to do with the gold? Destroy it! What did he say to do with the altars? Destroy them! But Joshua goes in and he says, Oh, but God, look, these altars are great. I can sanctify them. I can pray over them. Let's take Christmas and use it for evangelism. Let's do these things. And God says, I don't want it. I've already given you the feasts. We're not working to a pagan timetable. You're working to my timetable. And by the way, these rules do apply to you and you're not an exception. Amen. You're in great danger if you consider yourself an exception. Believe me, you're on the wrong road. You're on the wrong road. I need to come to church and learn and then change. Listen to me. Christmas was illegal in America. Illegal. You faced a hefty fine until 1832 when the the state of Alabama... That tells a story, doesn't it? If you travel across America, you will know that there's a lot of demons... In those southern states, Louisiana, Louisiana, Alabama, etc. They are hefty places for the devil. But they were the first states to turn to paganism. It was illegal in America to have anything to do with Christmas. Okay? It's against the law. Because the founding fathers were Christians. The Mayflower. And they went in knowing what paganism was doing elsewhere. And they, it was illegal. But what happened, you know the story. Societies want to be like everybody else. We want to behave the way the world does. They look as if they're having a nice time with Christmas. We want to tweet. That's what it's like. It's children. It's children being bribed with tinkering toys. Well, we need to grow up. Amen? Amen? When I was a child, I talked like a child. 
I behaved like a child and I loved the things of childhood. But hopefully things have changed. And now I'm a man, I will put away these things. The Yule log, you see, you can go to Asda today, Tesco's today. When Tamas' son was killed, she said, because, she, because he was killed by a boar, she said a boar had to be set up and roasted. And that over time turned into your Christmas logs, which you can get in the store. It turned into the chocolate logs. They're nicer than this one, right? The chocolate logs, that's where it comes from, you see. So these things have rock, so rock solid origin with, with evil origins that I believe God absolutely detests. Look, if you think back, the devil, I, I think, has successfully infiltrated our ways, our customs in a gazillion ways in our church traditions. Now, I myself, so I'm not given a second-hand story. It's a first-hand story. I was watching a documentary with George Harrison. You know who George Harrison is? The Beatles, right? Um, and I heard him say this. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm being pretty accurate. I heard him say this. He wrote a song with hallelujah in it. My sweet Lord. Okay? My sweet Lord, hallelujah. See? And some, one of the reporters put a mic in his face and said, tell me about the song, hallelujah. And this was George Harrison's reply. He said, Christians, that's what bugs me. One God, one God. He was a Krishna freak, you know? Hare Krishna. And he said, I was determined to get the Christians into Krishna into Hare Krishna. So I used my skill to do it. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll write a song. This is what he said. I'm going to write a song with hallelujah. And I'm going to get them singing. And then in the last verses, it sounds so good. I really want to praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. And then when you get to the last two verses, Hare Krishna, Hare Brahma, Hare Vishnu, Hare devil, and on and on. Do you know, I remember when that song came out, you couldn't get it out of your head. And I found myself singing that, did you? It's one of those ones that gets stuck. It worked, George. It worked. You actually did what has happened for thousands of years. You, 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 you turned what was pure into something wicked and detestable to God. You took hallelujah and changed it to Hare Krishna. And that's the same as what's happening with all this stuff. So we begin to understand a little bit about the Christmas tree. What about Father Christmas? This is the same type of thing. What does Father Christmas say? How do you know he's coming? Ho, 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 that's right. Do you know where that comes from? The devil. You see, do you know there was a guy called Robin Goodfellow? And he played the devil in Europe 1500s. And he was very famous. He was a good devil, you know what I mean? Very good at his job. And in those days, it was theater plays. So before the devil would come on the stage, uh, Robin Goodfellow was probably one of the first people to have a catchphrase. Guess what his catchphrase was? Ho! 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 And everybody knew the devil was coming. Now you could say, well, how on earth did Santa end up with that next slide but you know the slide with the, with the three versions of santa thank you santa came from a, a norse god called odin and this was his first incarnation you notice he's not red he didn't become red until later generations 
And Odin has various forms, but Odin is the god of death. Okay? And over the generations, he took on different, you know, depictions, but he ended up being married, if you like, with St. Nicholas within the Catholic Church. Now, just listen a moment. You see, the devil in history, he knows what's going to happen. And in the Old Testament, you know, sometimes you read the Old Testament, God can seem quite hard, can't he? Wipe them all out, kill this city, do this. And then you come to the New Testament and Jesus is full of love and peace. Well, the devil in the Old Testament, we've got Baal killing child sacrifice. And in the New Testament, we get Santa Claus. You see? Do you understand? It's, it's, it's a corrupted version, just Satan moving with the times and giving a modern day construction. By the way, let me say that the Catholic Church in Vatican II completely disowned anything to do with St. Nicholas. They understand these things are pagan, that this chap here comes from pagan traditions. He wasn't red, he used to be silver or a dark in clothes because he's the god of death. Okay, there's a spirit behind this and it's the god of death. The reason he's red, Coca-Cola. Yeah. In 1932, everybody loved Santa. And in 1932, their designer, Chris, their designer thought, we'll marry this St. Nicholas guy, Old Nick, the devil, which is what it is, with Santa. And to do that, they took the red color of their Coke bottles. And they created a new type of Santa, which was this color. And that's, where, that's why he's red. Prior to the 1930s, it was actually silver in line with Odin. Now, can we run the video, guys? I, I apologize for this video in advance, but pagan rituals within Europe are seeing a great revival. The, the, this is the way Christmas, Santa and the elves are celebrated in keeping with traditional customs. Now, I don't want to frighten anybody because it's actually unbelievable, but the elves that would accompany Santa, if you like, were actually little demons. And if you didn't do what they, what they were told... If you didn't do, a, do, do what Santa told you to do, you'd be handed over to the little demons, you see. So there's Santa. You see, it's back to the child sacrifice thing. It's the same route. And it, this is Europe. And this is the, the feast of Christmas and the old-fashioned occultic ways of celebrating Christmas coming back into vogue. Okay? Satan has kept a pretty crafty hand all these years. Uh, it's kind of awful. and scary. These are Santa's elves, guys. That's what they are. So, I just want you to see that when, you, when we look at this type of thing, oh, but it doesn't mean that to me. It's not what it means to you that matters, is it? It's what it means to God. I'll pray over it and sanctify it. That's what Joshua tried. And it cost them everything. What shall I do with it? Everybody agree? Bye-bye, Santa. Stay in your seat, Jeanette. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something about women. There's a greater problem here for women. Um, Jeanette was a single mum on her own at home for years. It's hard, you know. Very hard at Christmas. Very hard at Christmas. Single mom on your own. And there's nothing like a bit of comfort, huh? You feel lonely and I know what I'll do. I'll get a nice tree. That's what I'll do. Set up a nice tree. 
And she had years where the only thing she had was the comfort. And believe me, Odin, you know, Santa provides a certain temporary warmth. But remember, he's the god of death. And she would set this up. And when we met, I celebrated Christmas like anybody else. But then I came to church one day. And I saw something that I had never known. And we were, I, I went home and I said, Jeanette, do you know what, dear? <laughs> do you know where this is going? And do you know what, do you know, do you know what, she, no, it's not what you said. Sorry, love. She, do you know what she said? Oh! Oh! She said, what about the boys? Boys come at Christmas. Love to turn up the way and put the light fall on. What are we going to do? I said, you know what, love? The decisions in our house, you know, the decisions are made always together. But this is not a decision you're going to make, my dear. I'm the husband, not just a married man. There's many married men, useless. Sorry. A husband is someone who takes authority in the home when it's needed. Not abusing it, not misusing it. But I said to her, on this issue, I rule. Because I will, I'm responsible for my house. And there will be no pagan worship. There will be no symbols of that. We will worship God. Okay? But women need to be particularly careful because I will be your emotional attachment. You don't need that. God is here and I'm here. So you don't need the warmth that you used to get. And by the way, the most depressing day of the year is... Well, no, January the 17th. You see, by all means, you can set up your warmth and it may cure your loneliness for about 17 days. And then you take it all down and it's all gone. And then do you know what you're left with? Begins with D. Yeah, death. You're left with loneliness and death. And many Christians, they get swayed to pagan traditions Pagan rituals, they get a certain warmth and then by the end of January they don't know if they're saved anymore. What happened? What happened? I don't know where my spirit's gone. You see? We used to have this woman in one particular church and she stank. It was like a weapon. She was the smelliest person I've ever met. God help her. But it was like a bomb. You know the stink bombs? You could break the whole box. She was powerful. It was like, boom, I'm coming near you. It was, it, was, it was terrible, terrible. She was immune to her own odor, totally immune. She couldn't smell it. So she was happy. But I tell you, when she started coming, I would take a breath. And just hold it because it was, it was overwhelming. We, I mean, people tried to help her. But you see, when I come near God with pagan things. I'm totally oblivious. I just don't know why my spiritual life's not growing. Don't know why other people seem to be getting on fine, but you know, the truth about me, I just don't get it. Well, this can be one, many reasons, but this can be one of the reasons. Don't tell me that's not what it means to you. Don't tell me that you'll pray for your Christmas tree. Don't tell me that you'll pray about your Santas. You're on the wrong road. It's not about you. It's about God. Amen. Yes. So Odin, Odin has a, Santa has a wicked list. Could I have that list there of similarities between who's who? The who's who list? Sorry, that's not very big, but let me read it out to you. Can you see it? Odin gives you what you want, or Santa. Well, Jesus gives you what's good for you. 
Odin has a sacred tree. God has a tree. It's in the Garden of Eden, all right? He was also crucified on a tree. Santa writes your name in his book. What does God do? Writes your name in a book. Santa knows all your needs. What does God do? He knows all your needs. The, 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 the myth says that Odin's hair, Santa's hair is as white as snow. The Bible says that God's hair is as white as snow. And the most wicked one for me, Santa enters your house through fire. Well, you see, Pentecost, folks, God entered the world through fire. And I want the right fire in my life. And that requires me to clean my temple, clean my home, all right? Clean my hearth. The word hearth is also a false god, by the way, hartha, okay? You can see the imposter. You can see the shadow here that the, Satan knew that Christ was coming and he set up all of these ways of detaching God's people. By the way, we didn't have any sound on the video, but Santa would come. It's the old child sacrifice route. Santa would come to the children. If you don't do what the devil, which is Santa, which is Odin, which is the God of death, if you don't do what Santa says, he hands you over to the, the little demons that you saw running along. The demons always had bells. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling. That's where jingle bells come from, by the way. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. If you don't adhere to these practices, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a threat. You'll be lonely. You'll be this. You'll be that. <laughs> I could, we could be here forever if we looked at the practices of God, which we will do, and the practices that the devil has set up without us knowing it. When I worked in Liverpool, listen to this, folks, and I'm ashamed to say this. One of the women I most respect as a Christian leader in the world is a lady called Ho Jawa. She's from Singapore, and she was my overseer when I was there. You know, Sister Ho. Yeah. She's great, man. She's just a, such a good leader. Um, really good. And she took me aside one day, many years ago, and she said, Mike, come here, because we were celebrating Christmas. We had Christmas tree. We had our Santa. Usual story. And she said, you know what, brother? You're so messing it. I said, what? Happy Christmas! <laughs> Mike, it's evil. The thing is evil. Oh, give us a break. Give us a break. Jawa! Give us a break. Do you know I completely ignored her? And I carried on. And then we went to Liverpool. And funny enough, the pastor of the church there, he would have nothing to do with it. You know, and I said, well, why don't we have evangelism? Why don't we have this? And he said, come here. Of course, I've been saved so long. I don't need to learn anything, do I? I've been saved for a long time now, so it doesn't matter what you say to me, I won't change. And that was my attitude. And I didn't change. And it wasn't, it was John Hagee. It was actually, I was watching John Hagee one day. And for the first time, he took, he, he took us through the history. of. I thought, Lord, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't know. And I needed to repent. I needed to say, God, forgive me. I will not have anything to do with these things anymore. Now, I want you to look at this table a moment. You see, Valentine was, Samarius married her own son, little Cupid. And then later this became corrupted again through a Catholic saint with Christian and pagan things being morphed. And this leads to massive fornication and abortion 
nine months after Valentine's Day all over the world. It's still child sacrifice. <coughs> oh, yeah, sorry, forgot. <laughs> you can get them in every shop in town at the moment. You see, it's the evergreen tree. It's the same thing. That's what it is. It's a sign of the evergreen tree. In fact, this has a long history. I won't go into it, but it has a very long history. What I want you to see, folks... Oh, sorry. The biggest offender of all. Yeah. I don't think it's funny, this one. Because God had a tree in the Garden of Eden. And because they sinned, he had to send his son to die on another tree. This is not a joke. This is wicked. You understand? From God's perspective. I don't mean ours, and I understand that people are totally naive. I understand that. But you understand from God's perspective how wicked it is to depict his son by another son. By the way, it's Tamus. My point is, with putting it in the bin, is that there's nothing wicked left on the table. Because at Christmas, the Jewish feast, just before Christmas, is the Feast of Hanukkah. And it's the Festival of Lights. And what they do is they... T I can't light these candles because the fire alarm will go off. But you can get one of these. You see, God's not mean. And you have a festival at Christmas. It's a beautiful one. It's to celebrate when the Jews got the temple back. Right? Judah Maccabee. I think Tom's going to talk about that. Right? So, do you know what we will do this Christmas time? We're going to set up... I lost my little sign there or something. We're going to set up in our home... Lights. It's called a menorah. There's two types of menorah. There's the seven branch menorah, which was the traditional one in the temple. But as well as that, you have the, there, up on the top, there is what's called a, a chanaka. Okay, that's a nine, nine branch menorah. The tall one here, notice there's one of a different size. Can everybody see that? Just stand up if you can't see. I want you to understand. In your home, set up lights. You can do that. It's Hanukkah. It's the festival of lights. Okay, so there's no problem. At Hanukkah, I can give you a gift. That's what the walnut whips are. Like. Okay? I told her the other day, I, I've ordered from Israel a nine-branch chanaka as one of your Christmas presents. And I will give it to you. And she woke up the other day. God help us. She woke up. The first thing she said, guess what it was? Is it here yet? Hallelujah. It's nice to have God in the house. Nice to have God in the house. So you can keep this stuff. There's a movement currently taking place in America where a pastor is taking these and doing that. And he's getting Christians to stick them <laughs> in their front garden. Santa, don't stop here. And then kids, because this is done. Remember, the Jews were chosen because they would teach the, the feast to the kids that, to get through the generations. Okay? It's child sacrifice. So that the kids would ask, why do you not want Santa? And you can say, do you know what, friend? It's not Santa you need. It's Jesus Christ you need. I think it's a good idea. Now... Let me just close with one scripture. John, I want you to see what Jesus did at Christmas time. I'm glad the Bible tells us. John chapter 10 verse 22. Scripture tells us what Jesus did at Christmas. 
um, John chapter 10, verse 22. So if anybody ever asks you how Jesus celebrated at this time, there it is right there in John chapter 22. He didn't celebrate on the 25th like we do. That's the sun god, you know, the, the reincarnation of the sun. It's the winter solstice, okay? But on, uh, at, at, this would have been at the, the beginning of December, probably around the 8th to the 15th of December. Then came the festival of dedication. That word in Hebrew and in, in Greek is Hanukkah, okay? It was the feast of Hanukkah. And Jesus went to the temple to celebrate. Do you know what, he would have do? Do you know what they would have done? Set up nine lights. And what we're going to do, now everybody look up and listen very careful, because I want, God is not out to kill your joy. Okay? He's not like that. He's a good God. He doesn't want you to go off the rails at the end of January. He wants to be in your heart and in your home all year. What we're going to do this year is, I'm going to, I've ordered a menorah. Fathers, husbands, do the same. Do the same. Amen. Do the same. And set a symbol, because these are our feasts. We, eight, uh, four days before Christmas, we will light the center candle which is what the Jews do before Hanukkah. And we will work our way through and we will pray nine prayers. And maybe, Tom, you could research what, and I know there's different types of prayer for each day. And we will pray and by the time you get to the eighth day, we will be in Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Four days before Christmas, four days after, and then the candles can burn themselves out. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I will decorate our house with lights. The little snowman, nothing wrong with a little snowman. Don't tell me it's the Antichrist, Okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little stone, but no problem. If you, you, you know, there's little gifts, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because Jesus came. Amen. That's tabernacles. It's September. But I will give gifts. I will have a meal, a celebration meal. In fact, not just one meal. I think we'll have eight meals. So if you think this is big, where do you see me after Christmas? Right? We will celebrate and we will celebrate and we will celebrate. And move out of Christmas to the next feast where we glorify God and not demons. Amen. Amen. One last word of warning. Don't you become a pain in the neck. Don't look at anybody. <laughs> Don't go to your friend's house. Just easy does it. If you had come to my house four, five years ago now, you would have seen a Christmas tree and the whole works. I didn't know I didn't know. I didn't understand. I certainly didn't understand the bloodshed. And God just says, get that out of my sight. I don't want to see it. I've already given you feasts that you can celebrate. More than enough. There's dozens of them, actually. They're all over the place. These are just the top seven. Okay? All right? I hope I haven't offended, offended anybody. It's not my goal. I, I, I just want to let you see clearly... These here are great. If I, could, I don't, don't have many copies. This is the Bridges for Peace. They're very reliable in their theology. Remember I told you about them? I don't have many. Could the ushers help me here? Could, you, could we have one between couples? This is a guideline for how to celebrate Christmas as a Christian. Okay? How, how to celebrate Hanukkah. And I'll give you more about the... Thanks, Peter. In times to come. Just invite the worship team.